You would think that I had had it made. I'm on national television. I've earned a lot of money. I have this beautiful home in California. But one day it all comes crashing down, and that is the divorce. And the thing about it for me was that I thought I had built something stable here. But once that day happened of the marriage is over, it felt like the ground wasn't stable under my feet. And if you're having that kind of rocky feeling, there was something familiar in that. It threw me back to my thoughts of childhood because when I was a child, I was afraid all the time. And it felt like the ground isn't stable under your feet. Hello, I'm Kimberly and welcome to Res Style. My guest today is Hattie Kaufman. She's an Emmy award-winning news correspondent who just wrote her memoir, Falling Into Place. Thank you for having me, Kimberly. Well, thank you for coming to Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to be here, and I'm glad that you're, you're and talking I got the about book, my book. And I read it this week, and it's just amazing to me because it brought me back to my childhood and a lot of the things I went through through my life. You know, it's a very touching story. You could relate to it. I'm finding a lot of people around the country, Native Americans mm -hmm. and others, can relate to things I'm talking about here. Poverty, hunger, what's going to happen to us, you know, the tough childhood stuff that a lot of people keep secret. And I finally decided to, you know, not keep it a secret anymore. What amazes me, and so many people told me back when I was young, or when I got older, was that, how did you get out of that? To, you know, how did you survive? And then it's like, I look at, I'm reading your story, and it's just like, Hattie got out of that. Yeah. You know, it's like, how did you get out of that? Well, one thing is we never, um, we couldn't stop trying to survive. You know, this, we didn't have AFDC or, you know, food stamps or anything like that. Our parents were gone a lot, and so there were seven kids, and we had to figure out what to do when the gas is turned off. And so then there's no heat and there's no hot water. Well, one of my sisters figured out we still have electricity. Let's plug in this coffee percolator and just heat it up and then we'll carry it upstairs and pour it in the bathtub and we'll be able to, you know, to take a warm bath. So we were always figuring things out. And I think that helped us all get out of it. You know, we just kind of scrambled and scratched our way out. And your whole family has been successful yeah. in getting out of it. You know, it's like so many people end up you know, they either either go one way or the other. Yes. You know, you either learn the lesson, learn from it, or you don't. How is it because you guys were such a tight family that you're able to all rise above like that? I think I think the real heroes in my story are my older sister Lily and my older brother John because they kept this group of seven kids together, and we never we never devolved into like Lord of the Flies where we're all wild. You know, we we stayed a cohesive unit, and we loved one another and and we knew somehow it was time to go to school. I don't know how we knew. There's no working clock. You know, we were often late. We'd get there at 10 a.m. But, you know, it's a school day and we're going to make an effort, just like heating up that water in, in the coffee percolator to take a bath. We were always trying. And, um, you know, I just credit them for keeping us together. Your book also talks about your divorce. Mm -hmm. How did you come up with intertwining the story, the way that you did, and keeps it moving between your childhood and back to the, like the current time. Okay, I should probably set the scene there because yeah. you you know people who do know me know me from television. Right. I was a network news correspondent for a long time, and you would think that I had had it made. I'm on national television. I've earned a lot of money. I have this beautiful home in California, but one day it all comes crashing down, and that is the divorce. And the thing about it for me was that. I thought I had built something stable here. But once that day happened of the marriage is over, it felt like the ground wasn't stable under my feet. And if you're having that kind of rocky feeling, 
there was something familiar in that. It threw me back to my thoughts of childhood because when I was a child, I was afraid all the time. And it felt like the ground isn't stable under your feet. If you grow up in an alcoholic home, it's like, what's mm -hmm. going to happen next? You're always wondering, what's going to happen next? And that was the feeling that I had going through that divorce. What's going to happen next? And so that was why I was able to weave the two together. I had often wanted to tell my childhood stories, but until that divorce happened, I didn't really face it all. And it, it forced me to face it. So I had to put the stories together. How did you end up in Minneapolis from Seattle? Well, at the time, I followed my older sister, Lily, who went there because it was the only four-year uni uh, university, University of Minnesota, to offer a degree in American Indian Studies in the early 70s. And so there I was, a freshman at age 17, starting off in the radio, uh, university radio, and I had a microphone like this, <laughs> and I ran out to do Indian news. And think about what Indian news was happening then. It was the American Indian movement. It was Dennis Banks and Russell Means, and there I was, you know, interviewing them, and suddenly, as a 17-year-old, I was covering a big story and getting on the air all the time with my stories. Where did you go from there? Was, it, was that when you went to Seattle to work on the local TV stations? Yes, uh, eventually. At first, though, I taught in Minneapolis for about three years. I don't know if you know that I was a public school teacher oh, in, okay. in Minneapolis. And then I went back to school in graduate school in journalism and ended up going to Seattle and uh, starting out as a young TV reporter, scared, didn't know what I was doing, <laughs> afraid of making a mistake, you know, because it's the news and you, you can't make a mistake, as you know. Mm -hmm. How was it like when you out doing national correspondence? I mean, being a native kid from the res. Yeah, I remember the very first time I was in New York and I was going to fill in for Joan London on Good Morning America. She was off, she was sick or something, they asked me to fill in. And I'm walking across the set and I'm sitting down on the chair and there's you know big lights and big studio. And you know, I had gotten used to talking to a camera thinking I'm talking to Seattle, but this was America. <laughs> and it could be so intimidating and so terrifying. And I remember just as I was walking over to sit down on that couch, that I got really scared. And then I thought, I need to have a little cheering team in my head, you know, saying, you can do it, Hattie, you can do it. And I. I just created my own little cheering team. I think we have to do that sometimes. <laughs> what was it like stepping into Joan London's shoes that day? Oh, I remember going into the, her dressing room and just seeing this wall of sweaters in every single color and then shoes all. It was just, it was just amazing to me. It was astonishing, especially when you think of where I came from. Mm -hmm. um, but I got used to it. I and mean, the one thing is being a good reporter is telling somebody else's story and focusing on them and not focusing on yourself. And I think that's, uh, that helps all of us do what we do. What is your most memorable story that you worked on? Oh, I have so many. Um, maybe Oklahoma City bombing. It was a terrible event. And I got there within hours. And I profiled a, a woman who was Native American. I think she was Osage. And she worked at the daycare center. Remember, a lot of little kids were mm -hmm. killed at the daycare center. And her job was to go to the hospitals and identify those kids so that the parents didn't have to. I mean, what a horrible thing. And yet, what a heroic thing this Native American woman did. She was a, an unsung hero. And I got to tell her story and put it on the air the next morning. Where have you, you've traveled all over the world. Yeah. Is there a place that you haven't been that you wished you could have gone to cover a story? Ooh, that's a good question, where I haven't been. Um, no, I, I, th I don't want to go anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> I have too many frequent flyer miles, you know? I mean, million miler in multiple airlines, that's too much. 
Um, I can tell you that one of the stories I remember the most, I was, I went for a jog in Central Park around the uh, reservoir there, and I was in a good mood, and I came to work, and I said, I feel like I'm on top of the world, and the boss said, good, because uh, you're, we're sending you to the North Pole today. And it was, <laughs> <laughs> how often could that happen? But I, I went up there to do a story about a woman who was trying to be the first woman to solo dog sled to the North Pole. And so we followed her for a long way, and we were in the middle of nowhere, walking on frozen ocean. I mean, the, the fact that I got to be in so many places and see so many things is just a wonderful gift of this run that I had on CBS and ABC. I'm grateful for my career. Being a Native woman in journalism and being the first Native American to do a national broadcast is there times when you were able to utilize that to bring highlights to Native news stories in your oh, career? Yes, yeah, I've gotten to do, for instance, as I was saying, with this woman who was Osage, right. there she was, and I could put her, her story on television. But other times, I've been able to actually take a camera crew back to my own reservation. Um, when I was working for Good Morning America, I got a call that our little tiny basketball team had been undefeated for 56 games, you know, and we hear that all the time. Res, yeah. res basketball. And I thought, yeah, that's good. And then the next week I did another call. It's up to 57. It's up to 58. It was finally like they were 60-some games undefeated, like going on two, their third year of undefeated. And I, I told the folks at Good Morning America, and before you knew it, we had a crew going in to do a story about the Lapway Wildcats. You know, little tiny <laughs> town, little tiny res team, and there is a, a national network crew. So it made a difference, I think. And I think that's why we should have more Native Americans working in the mainstream media, because then our stories can be told. If there's somebody on the inside to call and to say, we've got something going on, then, then your stories get told. Otherwise, people don't know about it. What did you do different that you were able to make that leap from local to national? Um, one thing I did was I always said yes to every story, and I always volunteered because it's competitive to work in television news. If I'm on the air, you're probably not on the air because we're both competing, you know, to try to get that lead story or whatever it might be, just to even get on the air. And so I was always volunteering and never saying no. And uh, I just worked really hard. I think one thing that makes the difference is learning to write will, is very important for any reporter because it's not just enough to look pretty or, you know, try to be on the screen as much as you can. You have to be able to write because you're writing a story and if somebody's, say they're walking by at home, they're not paying attention to the TV, maybe they're cooking breakfast in the morning, but they hear something, they hear the way you're telling that story, you need to make them stop, turn around, look at the TV and pay attention. And so I would encourage all young people out there to learn how to write. It makes such a big difference. When you went from being a, doing journalism in front of the TV to writing your memoir, was that different for you, the writing style? Yeah, it was actually kind of scary. Because oh, I, the night before my book came out, I knew it was being released the next day, and I woke up and thinking, what did I do? Can I take it all back? Because there's so much personal information in there. And it's, and it's hard stuff. It's childhood stuff, or it's divorce stuff, or I'm like sad, or, you know, it's stuff that most of us would probably not want to share, and there I was sharing it or about to, and so I was wishing I could pull it all back, but I couldn't. And I'm glad that, that I didn't, because I think it has helped some people. I'm hearing from them. If you had any advice for young Native youth on the reservations who are struggling through some of the things you went through, what would be that advice? I would say that whatever you're going through, it's only temporary. 
Um, you know, I, we've heard it said that suicide is a, a permanent solution to a temporary problem. You know, it's permanent. It's not even a solution, but it's permanent. Um, whatever you're going through, you know, that saying, this too shall pass, it really will. It really will pass. Um, and I hope that, that they can take away, if they read my book, um, the lesson that even as tough or as painful as it is, it might just help you help somebody else down the road. Do you ever think one day that you might go back to TV? You know what? Somebody else in an interview asked me that, and I said, no, no, I think I'm done. And one of my producers called me and said, Hattie, never say never. <laughs> you know, if they, a network called and offered you a job, of course you would jump at it. Um, so I don't want to say I wouldn't go back, but I can say I'm having a lot of fun right now um, with this book and going out and, and talking to Native American groups. You know, I'm giving the commencement speech at um, College of Menominee Nation. I spoke at another tribal college a couple of weeks ago in North Dakota. And I think there's another way to make a difference in the lives of young people. Although being on television, as I was and as you are, that does make a difference too because you're, you end up being a role model to people who, who think, hey, she's doing that, I can do that too. So all of it has been good. It's not about me. Every time you do that little bit extra, it's about all of them. It's about all of us. Because when somebody does a little bit extra, it's not just a little bit extra at work or at school. If you do a little bit extra there, it becomes a little bit extra in life, in the community in the tribe, in the state, in the country. A little bit extra saved my life once. I was 50 and I made the stupidest decision, but I thought it was the smartest decision. I was sitting in high school in Seattle and I thought, this is white man's education and I'm Indian, what am I doing here? And I should just quit. And I should go climb the, the wall and take over Fort Lawton. You know, it was too late, Alcatraz, and someone had already taken over. But, I'm like, <laughs> but they were going to take over Fort Lawton. Anyway, I thought, I'm just going to quit. I quit. I quit. I quit. And I walked out. And just one day, just like that, just from a little thinking to an action, just like that. And thank God that that very next day, a Native American leader named Bernie White there happened to visit the Kaufman household. He was one of those community leaders who would go around and just check on Native families in the city, how you doing? need anything, everything going well. He was coming to talk to my parents. And I saw him, and I came bounding down the steps, and I said, hey, Bernie, I dropped out of school. And I was expecting a high five, because I thought, I'm doing the Indian thing. And he stopped me in my tracks, and he said, Hattie, we don't need more Indian dropouts. We need more Indian graduates.
is to do that, to be that, today, tomorrow, just even just do an experiment over the next year. I'm going to do a little bit more, wherever I am, with whoever I am, and see what happens. Believe me, as someone who has lived it, beyond your wildest dreams will happen. Congratulations to you. Thank you for having me. Reactions from when you go and speak in front of the native youth when app when you're done do they come up to you and you get you get a chance to talk with them yes I do and um, sometimes they haven't read my book yet you know and it's only just from the speech mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes they're just it's funny because they'll be all excited just because of who I interviewed you know like you interviewed Beyonce and I always say I'm not Beyonce I just interviewed her <laughs> don't get excited <laughs> she you know it's I interviewed the stars doesn't make me a star but in their eyes they're just so can I have my picture with you because you talked to so-and-so you know it's kind of a funny thing um, it, it kind of depends on their their age too um, you know like college and young young moms, you know, I share in this book. I was once once a, a battered wife in my early twenties, and I'm, being unafraid to share that at this time, I think, um, can help people realize they're not so alone in what they think they're going through. So you have done, in your journalism career, done everything from entertainment, yes, to hard news, right? To, all of it. I mean, very few people do that. Yeah, I even for I even had this goofy assignment once, which was like adventures. They, it was during sweeps, and they thought, let's have Hattie go out and do adventures, and that would be like rock climbing in Utah, where you're on like a cliff straight up and down to whitewater rafting, and you know we played it for five days in a row, and on the fifth day, my adventure was supposed to be skydiving, but I chickened out and. And it was hard to chicken out because CBS had put some money into this. They had a camera crew on the ground. They had a camera crew in the airplane with me. They had a camera crew that was going to jump out with me that had a little, like, camera on his helmet. And and I just couldn't get out of a perfectly good airplane. <laughs> 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 it's going to land. Why would I jump? And so I didn't jump. And they ended up making a story about chickening out. And it was successful, and the ratings, you know, showed it. And so the next time there was a ratings period, they wanted to do another adventure series. And eventually I had to quit because it was just getting a little more, you know, let's make it more adventure, more adventure. And I didn't want to be, you know, in the barrel during a rodeo with the bull. You know, at, at some point you say, no, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> so it's been a crazy career. Have you ever gone to do a story and have, is there something that you can remember that stuck out that had nothing to do with the story but just part of the trip that made a difference in your life? Oh, I don't know if it made a difference in my life, but one time we were doing a series about um, dangerous jobs, and I had to go into a coal mine and, you know, take the elevator down, and then you get, then there's a train, and the train, the ceiling is so low that you have to lie down, you know, on the train tracks, you're lying down, and it takes off, and you just see the ceiling going over your head like this, because it's, you know, it's that low and you're just, there's just enough room for the carts to go by and you're lying there and you're going a mile further down deep into the underground. And I realized once we stopped, the producer said, okay, Hattie, I want you to interview this guy. And I, I interviewed him, but I was feeling a little dizzy and nauseous. And I was, what I was having was claustrophobia. And I never knew I'm afraid. I was afraid. And then the, the producer said, okay, now I want you to do your stand-up, you know, where you hold the microphone and talk to the camera. And I thought, I can't. I need to get out of here. I need to get out of here. So I guess it taught me that I, you know, I don't like to be in scary, dangerous places. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that sticks out in my mind as, you know, 
it's just been a wonderful career. You never knew where you might be, you know, at the Olympics, um, at uh, a site of a tragedy or a plane crash. Uh, I remember during the Michael Jackson trial, I got to go into the Jackson family compound in Encino and interview the kids, because they're a bunch of little kids that, you know, the, his nieces and nephews, um, Jermaine's kids and Randy Jackson's kids, and interview them about their Uncle Michael. And, you know, just I'd find myself in these places and think, what am I doing here? I mean, I think you've, you've experienced the same thing. Mm -hmm. I noticed it was when I was reading your book, they talked about how you brought uh, personal personality to your stories more than most news reporters did. Mm. And um, what made it different for you that you were able to bring that out in people? Um, I think it, I think it's human empathy. I think it has to do with the fact that I grew up so poor and so hungry that I know that everybody has a struggle. And I, and I share a story in there about going to Mexico City. One of my first assignments was about the people who live in a circle around the city's garbage dump just by scavenging. And there was a, an old woman there who, when, I, when we asked what is the most valuable thing you own, she said, mi familia. And I think everybody around the world could identify with that. What's the most valuable thing you own? Mi familia, my family. And it's the same whether you're uh, a movie star or a, um, a woman living by scavenging on the dump of, Mar of Mexico City. I think that helped me not be starstruck by the people I interview and just try to tell their human story and, and find something that anybody at home could relate to because we all have those same human struggles. In your book, you talk about your Aunt Teddy. Yeah. It sounds like she was, was she the most influential person in your life growing up? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and I didn't even know when I started writing this book that it would end up being that way, that it would end up being this sort of um, ode to Aunt Teddy. But that's what happens when, you're, when you lose yourself in telling your story. I think some truths come out as you're typing away. And she was. She was somebody that was a picture of stability in, in this otherwise chaotic childhood. She was somebody who loved me and um, just plain out just love of an adult for a child and cared for me. There were a couple of other human beings who, who make appearances in this story. I mean, even my third grade teacher who, who washed my face and tried to comb my hair and straightened up my dress one day when I just showed up at school out of the, you know, random, because we, we kids would go to school when we thought it was time to go to school. And I was late. I was dirty. I was a mess. I was, my dress wasn't buttoned. And I just walked in the door and she looked at me and, you know, marched me out to go wash me up. I mean, that made a big difference because it, it showed me that an adult, adult cared. And the book is falling into place. Your paperback just came out, and this is the hard edition, hard copy edition. And you're traveling around the country doing book signings. Yeah. So you want what do you would like to leave us with today? Well, let me see. It sounds like a cliche. It's probably on a coffee mug somewhere. You know, when it seems things are falling apart, they're really falling into place. I mean, it sounds so hokey, and yet, at its essence, that's really the story I'm telling. I thought things were falling apart for me when I was going through that divorce in midlife, and yet I realized it actually helped me tell my story. And I think all of those little broken pieces for me have fallen into place, and I'm now in a better position that I can share that with others. I want to thank you for joining me. I'm Kimberly on Res Style, and this is Hattie Kaufman. Thank you. Thank you. Mm. Thanks so much. If you had any advice for young Native youth on the reservations who are struggling through some of the things you went through, what would be that advice? I would say that whatever you're going through, it's only temporary. 
Um, you know, I, we've heard it said that suicide is a, a permanent solution to a temporary problem. You know, it's permanent. It's not even a solution, but it's permanent. Um, whatever you're going through, you know that saying, this too shall pass, it really will. It really will pass. Um, and I hope that, that they can take away, if they read my book, um, the lesson that even as tough or as painful as it is, it might just help you help somebody else down the road.